You are listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. We want everyone everywhere to have an everyday relationship with Jesus, and we hope that this helps you do just that. Hello and good morning, church family on 14 campuses and online. I want to welcome you. Anderson Campus, could you help me welcome everybody all over the state this morning to church? And it's a, it's a special Sunday. Uh, I am preaching in a t-shirt. Uh, and so I feel like that needs explanation. I'm a collar kind of guy, okay? But this is Gauntlet Week, y'all. And, uh, and so if you have relocated or found New Spring Church to be kind of your home base over the last year and you don't know about Gauntlet, Gauntlet is our summer camp for middle schoolers and high schoolers. And it starts tomorrow morning. People will be up early getting on buses and driving across the state and we will welcome them uh, over at our Clemson campus actually. So I know the Clemson campus is feeling all kinds of this as your church's kind of uh, campus has been taken over uh, by all of our other campuses coming to town. And y'all, we have not gotten to do gauntlet all 14 campuses together in one place since 2019. And so we've been waiting for this. Uh, Now, I want to let you know this as well. Gauntlet is one of those things, when you look back over history, we don't see tens or hundreds, but we have literal thousands of students' names who have professed salvation and placed their faith in Jesus Christ at the gauntlet. We have thousands of students' names who have gone public in baptism at the gauntlet in the history of our church. It is a massive big week for our church. And so here's what I want to invite everyone to do. I want you to grab your cell phone, okay? And I want you, if you want to be involved in Gauntlet, some of you are already serving. We have over a thousand adults that are involved in Gauntlet serving this week, so you guys can be praying for them. But if you want to keep up with what's going on at summer camp, what, our, what we're praying for, uh, what, what our sessions are, if you want to watch live, mom and dad, you want to keep up with things going live online, just text the phrase Gauntlet Fam to that new spring number 30303, right there. And uh, you can keep up with everything that's going on at the gauntlet. Uh, in addition to that, one of the things you'll also see when you come to the, 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 the page here is you'll see the gauntlet fund. Lee McDermott last week mentioned that we had just over uh, $140,000 still remaining to neutralize our gauntlet fund. Church, this week, we gave over $100,000 specifically towards the gauntlet fund. So... We, we're just at 30000 left, okay, to make this a completely neutral cost event for our church to do. We invest in the next generation. We always have, and hopefully you can feel the difference in your campus. So if you would like to get involved and give to the Gauntlet Fund to make uh, people being allowed and coming to Gauntlet, let, let them being able to get there, if you want to be a part of that, I just encourage you to do that. Now, additionally, this is also a, a special morning because uh, our, our good friend, Pastor Clayton King and his wife, Shari, they also run a ministry called Crossroads, and their entire staff is in the Anderson campus uh, this morning. So they're right over here. I wanted to say welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, These guys and gals will lead summer camp for hundreds of churches at Anderson University all summer long, and it's just another partner of New Spring Church. We we support and and, and celebrate all that they're doing, and so I just wanted you guys to know all that's going on right here at your church, okay? So we covered all our bases, and I want to invite you to pray this week. 
for Gauntlet. Pray that students have a blast. Pray that they, they, they would meet Jesus. Pray that they would meet some of their best friends, that everybody would be safe and have so much fun. And next Sunday, you're going to get to hear from Clayton King, who will be preaching the sixth uh, chapter of Ephesians in our final week of this series uh, called United in Christ. If you got your Bible, would you open them up to Ephesians chapter 5? Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, if you want to put your thumb somewhere else in the scriptures, uh, we're going to also be in Acts chapter 15. Those are the two primary sections of scripture we're going to be in today. And I am super excited about this message today because I think it's going to be helpful. I think it's going to be helpful if you're a mom or dad. I think it's going to be helpful if you're dating. I think it's going to be helpful as you are engaging in water cooler conversations at the office or with friends and family because Paul is going to address something in the first 17 verses of Ephesians 5 that is seemingly being talked about all the time in our world today. One of the truths of the scripture is that it is timeless and you're gonna feel just how timeless and transcendent the word of God is when we open it up in just a moment because it's gonna be like Paul was writing to us in 2023 when in fact he was writing to Ephesus 2,000 years ago and it's gonna address something that every single one of us needs to lean into. Now, before we get to this, I want you to write down uh, kind of our statement we've been writing down about the book of Ephesians. This has been helpful for every one of us. Here's the statement. Ephesians is going to invite us to sit and receive an unshakable identity. So I'm actually going to do that. Ephesians is going to invite us to do this, to sit down, receive an unshakable identity. As a matter of fact, the book of Ephesians is broken into six chapters, and the first half, the first three chapters, are all about sitting and receiving the love of the Lord. And then and only then, after you have been loved by God, you're going to be able to stand up and walk out in unity as the church. The book of Ephesians is, the, is really the book that, that the church gets a lot of its doctrine and foundations from. It's going to help us to not... Again, consider partiality, but consider how we could be a, a people that really point to the kingdom from every tribe, nation, and tongue. How we can work through our issues, how we can forgive, how we can be angry and not let the sun go down on our anger. How we can walk out in unity, believing that unity is an apologetic to the world that Jesus did die on the cross, was sent by God, did resurrect in power, and has sent his spirit to unite his church throughout time and all the nations. It's what Jesus said our unity does. It proves that God is who he says he is and that Jesus is who he says he is. That's why unity is such a big deal. So it, we're going to sit and receive. We're going to walk in unity, and then we're going to actually stand in victory. Next week, Pastor Clayton will talk about this as we talk about the armor of God and standing in victory against the schemes of the enemy and the spiritual spaces and places in our world. We all need to understand how to stand. So today, as we jump into Ephesians chapter 5, we're, we're in that second half, in that walking in unity. And as Pastor Lee McDermott talked about last week, Paul is going to lovingly speak to the church. Now, I want you to write this down. Paul is addressing the church. He's not addressing the world. His audience is the church. He's going to actually use the phrase saints in this chapter, and he's going to address the saints. He's going to talk to men and women who have received the love of God and what their activity should be because they've received the love of God. 
Okay, so let's read these 17 verses and then we will preach a little bit. If you love the word of God and you're ready for some Bible, say, I'm ready. All right, let's go, church. Ephesians 5, we'll pick it up and start in, uh, it'd probably be helpful if I've got my Bible turned there. Ephesians 5, and we'll pick it up and start in uh, verse 1. All right, here we go. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I want everybody to see he's talking to our identity right here. Loved by God. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Pause. This is the grounds of everything he's about to say. We have to let God love us, and then in response to the love God has for us, we are transformed by that love, and we begin to love like he loves. I want you to see that. Now, he's going to get real with us, and he's going to say some things in verse 3 and following. What's he say? But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Who's you? He's talking to the church. Shouldn't even be named among you. Now watch, he goes further. As is proper among saints, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I want you to hear the words of the Lord. Hear the words of Paul to the church. Six, let no one deceive you, because there are people trying to deceive. Let no one deceive you. With empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, let me just put a button right here because I want you to see this. He's talking to two families. He's talking to the family of God, the children of God, the beloved of God. And then he also is talking to the, the sons of disobedience. He's, he's already made mention of this, that, that these are the sons and daughters of the enemy of Satan. Go back to Ephesians 2. He says it very clearly that there are two kinds of families in the earth, sons and daughters of God and those that are born of the natural birth. In our own natural nature, we are the sons of disobedience, the daughters of disobedience. He's laying these two things out when he says that. Verse 7, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time... You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern, emphasis here, try to figure this out. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's what we're going to try to do. We're going to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead we're going to expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. You can see it. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. A couple more verses. Look carefully then how you walk. As you're walking out in unity, pay attention. How you walk, not as unwise, but as wise making the best use 
of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it is life. And Lord, we thank you that it encourages us. It's going to be wind in our sails. It's going to be light to our feet. It's going to show us how to live and walk and journey. And Father, we need your help. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you quicken these words? Would you quicken the foolishness of this man's words? And would you build your church? Would you help us? Would you help us build our families, love our neighbors, and ultimately bring glory and honor to you, God, as we try our best to discern what your will is. You tell us we can, so we ask for your help now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and we all say together, amen, amen. Well, if you're new to New Spring, you pick the weekend to come because we're going to talk about sexuality today, and I hope you're okay with that. Uh, One of the things that as a pastor that you can feel from time to time is that there are these moments, and when you go through the scriptures like we're doing in the book of Ephesians, you can't just pick and choose what people are going to applaud and get excited about and shout you down and amen you and retweet you. you got to choose to preach the whole counsel of scripture, and so that's what we're doing here. And actually, it's for our all benefit because God wants us, and like I said earlier, the trends... Uh, ascendant truth of scripture is is great for all time, not just 2,000 years ago. And it's like Paul is writing to the church in America today, isn't it? It's like he's trying to help us. And, And I really think maybe perhaps one of the things we need to do before we begin is if you're anticipating and you're already foot on the brake a little bit because you're like, okay, here comes one of these preacher types that's gonna tell everybody how to act, you're you're wrong. That's not what I'm gonna do at all. I'm gonna try to get myself out of the way completely and let the word of God tell us how to live. And let the the Lord unburden us. But one of the things I want you to write down first and foremost is very simply this, that our sexuality is about God. Now this is in Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to see that Paul didn't lead off with this. When he wrote the letter, this whole letter would have been read to the church in Ephesus. And he spent the first three chapters telling the church who they are in Christ. Telling the church that they are beloved One of the things I want every single man and woman, young and old, to hear, look at me in the eyes, in Christ you are loved. And this love is so powerful that it will not allow us to say the same. The love of God is massively transformational. It is catalytic. And one of the things that you'll hear today all over the earth, and I think we need to be aware of, is that there is a hijacking of biblical vocabulary, and we take words from the scripture, and we bring them into our modern context, and we shoehorn our value and definition in them. It happens all the time. Some call this phrase sacredizing, where you'll take sacred words, and you'll bring them into the modern context, and you'll put your value in them. One of those words is love. Today, we talk about love a lot, and one of the phrases you'll hear around sexuality often, and I just want to point it out, I'm not going to shame anybody, but I want to help you, is that you'll hear the phrase, love is love. Well, Ephesians 5 right here actually says something completely different. It's in the text. It says in verse 1, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The Bible does not say that love is love. The Bible says that God is love. And so our definition of love doesn't come from a cultural understanding or a feeling in my heart. It comes from the scriptures. 
And God is love. And the Bible actually says that this kind of love, it was so strong that it loved us that before we were even followers of Jesus, God loved us. That while we were still sinners, God loved us. Isn't that good news? Does anybody appreciate that God loved us before we loved him? And so we need to recognize that God is love. And so we get our imitation of God. If we're going to be good children and imitate God, we've got to reckon with his kind of love. That's how we're going to be children of God. Parents out there, show me your hands. Where you at, parents? Mom and dad? All right, lots of y'all in this first service. One of the things I understand as a parent is that as I try to do my best to love my children, that if I discipline them or correct without relationship, I'm sowing the seeds for rebellion. And one of the things that I believe has happened in the earth and that you feel in culture is that there is a whole lot of corrective language or disciplinary language coming and flowing out of the church onto the world. And they hear this language without relationship. One of the reasons that this is the fifth chapter of Ephesians and not the first is because Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to know how loved in Christ they are. But once they are in that relationship, safe. And they can trust their father loves them because he loved them so much that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Then he's going to say, put off the old and put on the new. And the new is a man or a woman who has got a sexuality that it points to God. That our sexuality is a creation and design from God, Genesis 2 specifically, that God lays out the foundation of creating man and woman in his image so that inside of the covenant of marriage we might point others to God. So here's the deal. All, listen to me, all sexual conduct outside of male and female in the covenant of marriage forever is considered what the New Testament and the whole Bible calls sexual immorality. All. Now, before everything gets real awkward and you feel like that we're just a whole bunch of people talking to a whole other crowd of people, I just want to do something. I need some participation all of our campuses. Sexual immorality, therefore, is this. This is an all swim. Any kind of sexual activity, thoughts, actions, attitudes, fantasies, or posture that is outside of a male and female in a covenant of marriage for life. That's what sexual Immorality is. The word in Greek that we just read there is the word porneo. It's where you get the word today, pornography. And so sexual immorality is the huge umbrella term that the Bible uses over and over again to talk about anything outside of that. So this can be anything. This can be fantasies. This can be watching movies on, on, uh, on, on your TV show on Netflix and fantasizing about it. This could be romance novels. This could be pornography. This could be sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. This could be all kinds of uh, things that people do in terms of their relationships that are outside of the confines of marriage. So here's what I need every single person, every single person to be honest up front, okay, just to make sure we're all on the same page. If in your life at any point, even for a moment, you would say, confession time, lights are up, you have committed sexual immorality by that definition. Would you, I know some of you are right there beside your kids, right there beside your spouse. Would you confess boldly and publicly by the raise of a hand? Me too. Now, I wanted to calibrate right there because I want us to understand something. What we don't have here today is a bunch of church people telling the world how to operate. What we have today is a bunch of forgiven saints leaning into the word of God and saying, we're going to submit ourselves to that because sexuality is about God. Sexuality is about God. 
Now, this book, Ephesians specifically, was written in around 60 AD. There's a, you know, give or take a couple of years. Ten years before that, there was a monster meeting of the church around 50 AD. We'll just use round numbers to make it easy. This meeting was known as the Judean Council, the Jerusalem Council. And the whole reason for the meeting was because the gospel started to blow people away with the good news of Jesus. So remember, Jesus resurrects in power, shows himself to all kinds of witnesses. He ascends into the clouds. He sends his Holy Spirit 10 days later. The Holy Spirit fills up his church. People get saved. They give their lives to Jesus. They repent. They're born again. And then the church is born. Now, the church was a persecuted minority when they first began, but then soon, and very soon, they would actually, a couple of hundred years later, become a majority of the entire Mediterranean world. But how did that happen? Well, here's what I need you to know. The church started to leave from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to other places, and it would leave the Jewish context of Israel, modern-day Israel, and it would go to Greek cities. That's the majority of our New Testament. The 13 letters of Paul are Paul writing to churches like Ephesus or Thessalonica or Rome or Corinth. All of these Greek cities where there were people that were not Jewish that started following Jesus because of the good news. How they could be forgiven of their sin. How they could be born again. How they could walk in the newness of life. How they could be about the new creation and look forward to the kingdom of God to come. But one of the problems that all of the New Testament pastors, Peter, John, Paul, Silas, Barnabas, John Mark, all of the New Testament missionaries had was they had to get on the same page about just how Jewish were these Greek men and women, these Roman men and women going to have to become to become followers of Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 15, they actually call a huge meeting and they pull in all the big boys off of the front lines of missionary work and they say, we got to get back together because there were some people saying that if this Greek man was going to become a follower of Jesus and was going to be born again and was going to begin to live for him, he was also going to have to get circumcised at age 45. And there was a 45-year-old man that says, I just don't, I don't know if I'm down for that. This is true. This is all historical. But not only that, there was 633 Levitical laws. How, how many of those kosher Levitical laws were we going to make the Greek guys that were raised up in, in Thessalonica follow if they're going to be followers of Jesus? And so all the big boys come into Jerusalem, James, the brother of Jesus, Paul, Peter, John, they're all there and they, they dialogue about this and they make a decision that I want you to see because it actually impacts the letter, the content that Paul wrote to Ephesians and the way the New Testament church was built. They get in a, a huge, huge debate and they actually are asking the question, what did Jesus teach us? And they actually settle up on the greatest commandment. Remember when Jesus was asked the question, hey, which one of the commands of the 633 is the most important? What did Jesus say? He said, we're called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves." Those two commandments and so they actually get together, and when they're deciding how to begin to lovingly tell the new believers how to follow Jesus, they, they talk and they agree and unite in a letter, and they send the letter to all the churches. And we have the contents of that letter. It's recorded in Acts 15. I'm going to actually read it to us. It's Acts 15, verse 23 and following. Here's what the letter says. It says this. Here's the letter. It says, the brothers... Both the apostles and the elders, all those names I just mentioned, to the 
brothers who are of the Gentiles. Okay, that's the Greeks, the Romans. In Antioch and Syria, Cilicia, so all of these churches. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, like you got to get circumcised at age 45. Okay, that's what he's referencing there, all right? Unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, 25, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by the word of mouth. Just side note, worth mentioning, that's not the Judas that betrayed Jesus. He's already dead at this point. That's a whole other Judas. Okay. All right. Okay, so what are they going to tell them? They're going to come with word of mouth, for it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Okay, here comes the requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled in church. And then what does he say? And from sexual immorality. If you keep yourself from these, you will do well. Farewell. Now let me pause right here. Think about how simple that is. How succinct that is. But when you bring in all of the guys that had been discipled by our Lord and all of the first century leaders who had been discipled by those disciples and they talk about the burden to put on the actual spiritual formation of the church, they decide we've got to be about worship of God alone. That's why they talk about no idolatry, no blood, nothing sacrificed to idols. We're going to be about worshiping God alone and we're going to be about loving our neighbors. We love ourselves, so that's why we're going to Talk about sexual immorality. It, were the two ma- it was the two major pillars of spiritual formation and fruit that you can expect of the behavior of those that have been loved by God and been born again. That we're going to worship God and that we're not going to be about sexual immorality. Now, we've got a problem, though, because everybody, at least at this campus a minute ago, raised their hand and said that they, at one point or another, have stepped out of the definition of what sexual uh, purity is into sexual immorality. And this is the point. We're being invited in to recognize that we are submitting our sexuality to God because our sexuality is not just about God. Point number two, our sexuality is about worship. Our sexuality is about worship. Everything that we do is worship to God. And so what I want us to make sure we understand is in their time, they could not disconnect worship of God and from sexuality, that sexuality was something that happened all over the New Testament realm because as they were worshiping their pagan gods, as they were worshiping Jupiter or Diana or in Ephesus, it was Diana and Artemis, sexual behavior and immorality was a part of that worship. And so one of the things that they would see is they would see a change in, I no longer worship Artemis, I no longer worship Diana, I worship Yahweh. And so my sexuality, as I've been born again, changes and I submit it to the way of God. And so this was a marker of the New Testament church that changed the entire whole Roman world. I'm going to show that to you in just a moment. So our worship sexually is about God. One of the things we see today in our modern moment we're in is that people are trying to disconnect if you can be a Christ follower and keep your sexual immorality. Okay, they're doing this all the time. What I want you to understand though is when you do that, maybe 
you're not recognizing this, but one of the deceptions is you're actually placing your sexuality on the throne of your heart and making God serve that. Rather than saying, no, God, I serve you and I'm going to submit my sexuality to you. But what are you saying, Pastor? I, I was born this way. That's a phrase we hear. I would say, absolutely, you were born that way. The Bible actually calls that our first sin, first Adam's sin, original sin. One of the realities that every single person, man, woman, old and young, must recognize is that we have two things going on in every one of us. We have been created in the image of God. At the same time, we have been broken by Adam and Eve's fallen nature, and we've been born into a fallen reality. These two things are happening inside of every person. So image of God, we need to recognize this. This is why Christians give every single man, woman, old, young, every ethnicity around the world, doesn't matter who they worship or what they do or how they act or what their sexual orientation is. Image of God is the reason that Christians love everyone. Give dignity to all. This is the reason that we, we operate the way we do when it comes to the life of the unborn. This is the reason that we operate the way we do when it comes to people who don't vote like us or look like us or, or, or speak the same primary language as us. Christians have historically always given dignity because of the Imago Dei. This is why Christianity has changed the world. Now listen, simultaneously, you got to get this because people get this confused. I saw it on Facebook this last month. Where people will say something like, hey, I'm just going to love everyone, and their love is love, and so I'm not going to tell them uh, anything other than that. I'm going to look at them and say, you can follow Jesus, and love is love, and because you've been created in the image of God. People are just confused, and you need to understand this. We all have been created in the image of God, but we all have been born into a fallen nature, and so we, we cannot just live not born again. When we follow Christ, when we are born again, he gives us a new divine nature. He gives us new desires. And we now have to be reformed in every aspect of our lives, every single aspect of our lives. And one of the primary ways we show that that has occurred is we submit our sexuality. And this isn't just for a certain kind of sexuality. This is for every single one of us. We have to submit our sexuality to him. I've been married to my wife for almost 13 years. I still submit my sexuality to the ways of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? She is my only wife. I only have eyes for her. I only will pursue her. She is my standard of beauty because why? I have submitted my sexuality to God. And one of the truths of our, of our biblical text is that we've got to be born again and we've got to recognize that as we do this, we are worshiping God. And so that brings us to our third and final point that we see in the New Testament is that our sexuality not only is about God and not only is it about worship, our sexuality is about mission. Our sexuality is about mission. You say, well, that's kind of weird. How am I going to be a missionary with my sexuality? Well, the, the history of the church proves out that that's exactly what happened. Uh, if you want to go and look up this historian, he's actually a friend of mine and he's a professor I've sat under. His name is John Dixon, John Dixon, and he actually has done all kinds of historical work and he's leaned on other folks like Rodney Stark and others. But he points out that one of the primary ways that the New Testament church grew so fast in a persecuted Rome was because of their sexual ethic. 
that women specifically were drawn to Christian sexual ethic because it gave them dignity. It didn't just use and abuse and discard them in the first, second, and third century, but instead what you had was husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church, which, by the way, is on the backside of Ephesians 5. And so these husbands loved their wives as Christ loved the church, and then they actually loved that wife and raised their kids, and they did not, like so many men in the Roman world, have a wife and then a mistress and a mistress and a mistress and a mistress. There's actually all kinds of historical evidence that Rome, as a, as a nation, had a massive problem because so many men were having children by mistresses and temple prostitutes that there was all of these kids that were growing up in a fatherless generation that didn't have families, and Rome was seeing the financial downturn of what this actually would mean for Rome. There, you can go and research this. They were looking for ways to solve the problem. The good news is Rome didn't have to solve the problem because Jesus Christ gave a solution. That when we, as husbands and wives, men and women, look to the scriptures, submit ourselves to the way of God, that he has a life-giving design that actually unburdens people. Dr. John Dixon says this, that in a sexually weary Rome, people found rest in the sexual ethic of Christianity. I wonder if we might be in a sexually weary America right now. Maybe you're here today and you're sexually weary. Maybe just because of all the content coming at you as a mom and dad and you're feeling like it's getting jammed down your throat. How in the world am I supposed to talk about this with my kids? Maybe you're sexually weary because you're in college and you're trying to navigate the single life and you're trying to, you, you know that you read the things that we just read in scripture and you're trying to figure out how to conversate about it. Maybe you're sexually weary because of the one night stands and the hookup culture and you just realize that, man, that's not satisfying my soul. Can I tell you something? Christians who leaned into biblical sexuality changed the whole culture of Rome. So much so that 300 years into Rome, you see that the, the emperor himself becomes a follower of Jesus and the entire world has been changed ever since. And one of the things we have forgotten is that we think that real freedom is found because of our sexual expression. When in reality, if you go down that path, and I've had this conversation with many friends, and I've felt this, by the way, in my own life. If you go down that path, sexual freedom and operating that way doesn't actually lead to freedom. It actually leads to chains, scars, pain, hurt, and brokenness. But on the other side of that, if we lean into Christ, and listen, some of you are here today, and you're going, this sounds like it's impossible. Look at me. It is. If you're not born again, there is no way to live this way unless Christ himself dwells in you. You'll have no hunger for it, no taste for it, no power to overcome it. You'll continue to give way to the way you were born, broken in sexual sin, just like all of us. But I also know that I have talked to men and women. I've seen folks and had testimonies over and over again that have come out of all kinds of backgrounds and brokenness that have given themselves to the Lord, that have been born again and have found freedom, sexual freedom in a sexually weary world where they can live a life to God, a life of worship and a life of mission. And you know what that, that life looks like to the world outside? It looks like a city on a hill. It looks, it looks like people that are blessed and satisfied because they're trusting God and they're submitting themselves to the ways of God. I want to encourage you, church. I want to encourage you, young people, listen to me. There's so much noise out there. Would you trust the word of God? 
would you trust the ways of God? Would you trust the life and the fruit that will flow from this? And, and this is such a massive deal, but I think just like in Rome 2,000 years ago, this is an opportunity for us as a church not to speak words of condemnation, not to speak words of hate, because we've all been there before, but we have to model this. Modeling this is going to give the words we speak power. Modeling this is going gonna, is gonna to show our kids that it can be done. Mom and dad aren't perfect, but we submit ourselves. If you, if you make a mistake, confession is a gift. Repentance is a gift. If you've had wrong mindsets, man, don't go away from the building today without giving that to the Lord. That's what this next time is for. But I just want to encourage you, in a sexually weary America, listen to me, it'll actually be our sexual ethic that'll be like fresh satisfying water to the souls of those who have been drinking out of the broken cisterns of the world. If you receive that, would you say amen? Amen. I want to invite you to your feet on all of our campuses. We're going to enter into a time of response. And I, I just, again, no shame. You saw how many hands were raised at the beginning. But I want to invite you to respond today. And, and again, be reminded today that Jesus Christ has given us the power to overcome our sexual immorality and brokenness. He's given it to us. He's given us forgiveness that wasn't just for the things we've done in the past, but he's got so much forgiveness that he's already forgiven us for the things we're going to do in 2025. Is that not mind-blowing? He's forgiven us for the brokenness in our marriages, the brokenness in our minds, the brokenness in our hearts. He's forgiven us, and we have to respond out of that love. You're not going to be able to white-knuckle your way through this. You've got to be a child of God. You've got to hear Father God say, you are beloved, you are my child, and so out of that love, come and imitate me. Come and imitate me to the world around you. That's how you're going to take off sexual immorality and you're going to put on sexual purity. That's how you're going to love your spouse. That's how you're going to love the neighbor. That's how you're going to love the world around you. We've got communion tables on all of our campuses. Some take a moment and receive the brokenness of Jesus on the cross. His body and his blood poured out for us and be reminded that it is his righteousness that makes us righteous before God. Some of us today, maybe you need to respond and give your life to Christ. You've been trying. Maybe you've even been wrestling with your sexuality for a really long time. And you need to be born again. You need to be born again. That is where the power of the gospel takes root. And so I want to invite you, when folks begin to move in a bit, you can just make your way to the cross in your room. And someone will help you ask the Lord into your life so that you might be born again. The altars will be open. Maybe you need to grab the hand of your spouse or your boyfriend or girlfriend. Or maybe, maybe you need to just come by yourself and you need to pray at the altar and ask the Lord to forgive you for a mindset or something you've done. And that's okay. That's okay. The power of the gospel is power enough to forgive. One of the things I just want to say, felt led to say, is sometimes when we hold confession and we don't confess, we actually in that moment are stealing God's glory. Do you recognize that? God doesn't just get glory when we do good things for his name. God gets glory when we come and we lay ourselves down and say, God, I failed. I'm so broken. I messed up. I made a mistake. Will you forgive me? In that moment, God gets glory because, yes, he has paid the price to forgive us. And so come today and make your way to the altar. Worship today. And as you go out of this place, I want you to know that we're going to create a whole bunch of resources because there's no way I could cover all of this in a 35-minute window. 
on our social media, we're going to load you up with great material, great podcasts, great books. And so I want to just commend those to you in the days ahead as you are navigating this because sexuality is about God, sexuality is about worship, and sexuality, it's about a mission that we're on. So Father God, would you help us now? Would you love your people? Would you remind us that we are your children? Would you, God, cover the shame or the guilt, or the condemnation that the enemy would want to heap on us as we come and we, we confess and we repent? And we say, Lord, we want to think differently. We want to act differently. And Lord, I pray that you would start a renewal and a revival right here at our church, God, all across the churches in, in the world that are leaning into your ways and that, that God, that every single one of us loving our our friends and our neighbors and our spouses and our kids well, the way you have defined it, would be such a light in a dark world that it would be undeniable. And we'd see revival and renewal because of it, I ask. So we worship you now. We respond now. It's in Christ's name we pray. We all say together, amen. Feel free to respond. Thanks for listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at newspring.cc for more content, including videos, articles, and devotionals to help you have an everyday relationship with Jesus. Or plan a visit to one of our campuses across the state of South Carolina.